Families and friends need to reunite. Our businesses need skills to grow. Exporters need to travel to make new connections. It's time to move again. Kiwis have been grounded since the pandemic began. Closed borders and MIQ have stopped people coming and going. But next Monday marks the start of a new era. From 11.59 on February 27th, so essentially on the 28th, Kiwis living in Australia will be able to come home without having to isolate in MIQ. Vaccinated New Zealanders and the rest of the world will be able to return two weeks after those in Australia from Monday, March the 13th. It's a joyous occasion for those who have been separated and a relief for businesses trying to get overseas workers. But on the flip side... Experts warn we could see a brain drain with talented young workers ready to commit to an OE after putting it on hold for two years. I thought to myself, I've been sitting here for so long. I've been living in the same place for five years. I think it's time. I just go. We're very, very concerned about losing a lot of them as they go on their OE. And, you know, a lot of them have communicated to us that's what they're going to be doing. People saw an, an end to the pandemic in some sense with the vaccine. So I think young people that are fully vaccinated and have got their booster are kind of ready to go and, and take that risk. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang. And today on The Detail, with MIQ soon to be a thing of the past, are we finally seeing the return of the big OE? Awkwardly, I'm one of the probably thousands of 20-somethings planning to skip the country in the next few months. I've already got a couple of years of work experience, I've got some funds and not a lot of responsibilities here in New Zealand. But what will an exodus of young, skilled workers mean for employers? You've got to be fast, you've got to be efficient, you've got to have a, a really tight recruitment process, but at the same time your recruitment process has to be geared towards why that employees should come and work for you. Ben Pearson is a director of recruitment agency Beyond Recruitment. He's worried about what could be an extended period of losing talent. I think there's this there's this workforce bracket of 25 to 35 year olds uh, who are seeking the OE experience, which has almost been a rite of passage, hasn't it, for Kiwis for forever. Look, in our business, um, our Beyond Recruitment business, uh, we employ about 85 people. We've got quite a large number of people that would fit in that bracket. It's really challenging, though, because that particular segment of worker uh, are almost like the worker bees in the hive. They're typically pretty smart. They've got, you know, five or six years' experience under their belt. You know, they've got the energy and they've got the fresh thinking and they're very productive and they're in that sort of stage of life where the career progression happens at a fairly accelerated rate. There's just over 750,000 workers in that age bracket, nearly 20% of the entire workforce. That particular bracket is the sweet spot. Uh, for many organisations. So that would be far more damaging than, you know, if this, if we thought that a whole bunch of senior leaders were going to leave the country, which they won't, but it's just this productive sort of engine room is the one that's um, the ones at risk. Do you think that there will be like a massive brain drain, especially with this kind of group? Like what percentage are we looking at? Yeah, I think we'll feel it. Um, yeah, I, I don't like sort of using words like massive because that sort of indicates that everything stops or it's, you know, unfixable or something like that. But, 
you know, I know our organisation will feel this one and it's going to be hard to attract replacements because those replacements might be doing the same thing. So, yeah, look, I couldn't really speculate on numbers or a percentage, but I, I think it's if organisations haven't thought of this, they need to be thinking about it. I predict 2023 this will start hitting, and that's just a personal opinion based on my own I mean, I'm quite a keen traveller, and as soon as I can travel safely, I intend to do so. But I personally wouldn't be doing it this year, but I might consider it next year. And, you know, just as you talk to people, that seems to be a pretty um, consistent time frame uh, that people mm-hmm. are thinking about. So, yeah, 2023, 2024 will be when that particular um, aspect comes into play. Beyond Recruitment's own report late last year found that finding talent was the biggest recruitment issue in New Zealand, and it's gotten worse since 2020. It found that largely businesses didn't feel the effects of any brain gain from returning Kiwis. Rather, 81% of employers are concerned that skilled Kiwis are leaving. Job ads on sites like Seek have grown every month since last September, and last month it had the most jobs it's ever had on its website. Even though opening borders means we'll have workers coming into the country again, Ben Pearson says they won't fill in the gaps that those going on their OEs leave behind. The incoming workers from offshore, you know, particularly people who are on working holidays or, you know, the sort of the OE in reverse kind of thing, but they really play to the hospitality industry, maybe temp working admin type jobs and, and, and even some of those agricultural jobs. You know, people who come in, they're actually travelling, they're on holiday, but they want to earn a bit of money while they're here for a couple of years. And that's obviously one of the key reasons why the hospitality and those other sectors are really um, feeling it at the moment. So I don't think we'll get a like-for-like like, you know, style of worker that's leaving versus a style of worker that's coming in. So, yeah, it will be a challenging one. I don't know what the world's going to be doing in two years' time if I wait another two years. Like, two years' time, I'm going to be nearing 30. It's time to just go and do it. Jane Matthews is a young professional based in Taranaki. She's got five years under her belt as a reporter with the Taranaki Daily News and she's getting ready to go on her OE this July. I've always had this big dream of New York, which is a very big dream, but I think that sort of simmered down a bit into going to London because everyone that I seemed to talk to that was in their 30s had done their OE, they'd gone to London, they'd made money and they'd come home. And so that started to really sound like the place I wanted to be. So when I first started down here, I was working in Hawada, which is an hour south of New Plymouth. And then within a year, I'd moved into the New Plymouth office, which was a step up. And I remember thinking, right, I'll do this for a year or two. And then I'm going to go on this big OE that I've been talking about for however long. In 2019, I started to think, right, maybe... 2021 is my year. And I remember when 2020 started, I thought, right, this is my year to save money. I'm going to go overseas in 2021. But obviously when 2020 (laughs) took off, there was talk of COVID. And we didn't, no one really thought it would affect anyone that much. And then of course, March was locked down. And I remember my boss saying to me, because I've been open with my workmates the whole time that, you know, this was a stepping stone and I was going elsewhere. Um, I remember my boss saying to me, well, you're not going to go on your OE this year, are you? 
And I thought, oh, no, that can't be right. I'm, I'm going to do this. But <laughs> two years on, he was he was completely right. There was no way I was going that year. And then I think that fear sort of set in. So 2020, we obviously, coronavirus was very new. And then as it went into 2021 and it hadn't gone away, it was almost scarier, the thought of going, because we'd seen it and how it had developed and what it had meant for the country Mm. and what it was doing elsewhere. Mm. It was like, well, why would I want to go anywhere else? And I think that sort of fear held me back a bit. (laughs) And, And what changed? What changed was, so one of my my flatmates, she had moved in probably a year and a half ago. She was from Wellington and she'd never lived in New Plymouth and she was happy here, but she knew she wanted to do something. And she said to me one day, she'd done it all under the sly. She said to me one day, by the way, I've applied for my UK visa. And I said, oh, have you? And she said, yeah, I'm I'm pretty far through the way, the whole process. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I sort of thought about it. And then a couple of weeks later, she said to me that she was applying for jobs and um, that I think it was that her visa had been accepted. And she said to me one day, why don't you come with me? You've always, you've said you've always talked about this. This is what you've always wanted. Why don't you? And I remember this is when that fear set in. And I said, oh, but what if you can't get home? Like, what if something happens with one of my family members? I don't know if I can leave my family at the moment. Mm. And she sort of just didn't say anything. And it was quite funny because I had the following week off work. I had a trip planned, but it had to be cancelled because we're in different alert levels in different regions. And so I was stuck at home and I was sitting outside in the sun and I was in a really good mood. And I thought, okay, what are the benefits of me going? Like what is really holding me back? And I realised what it was, was just everything in my mind. I was just worried for reasons that could have been valid, but they were just what ifs. Mm. And so I thought about it that whole day and I said to her that afternoon, I said, right, I've decided I'm going to apply for my visa. And she was just screaming and I had a lot. I, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily logistical things, but I had people to tell that I was scared to tell and things like that, that was still a bit of a concern. But I, I thought to myself, I've been sitting here for so long. I've been living in the same place for five years I think it's time. I just go. Someone else whose plans to go to the UK got put on hold by COVID is Alice Shepard, a fifth-year law student at Auckland University. I really wanted to go to the UK. Um, I've got family over there and I thought it was a great home base to spend some time in London or somewhere else in the UK and explore Europe, either working for a year or studying, maybe doing a master's. And I think 2021 was always going to be the, the year that something I would do something like that. It, it's hard because it kept getting pushed back with COVID and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, well, I mean, with, with borders opening and, and things like that and, and um, home isolation, does that give you a bit more certainty for this year? Oh, definitely. That's a, a big relief, a lot more certainty. Um, it's, it's not only the, the being able to get a date to come back at the end of six months or a year, but I've got family here. You never know what's going to happen. It's having that flexibility. If three months and something happens, I know I can come home. I'm hoping to go um, after Christmas this year and spend at least uh, three months, kind of January, February, March next year. Going over, are you worried about COVID, especially in the UK where it really hasn't been that great? 
definitely. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a country that people would be uh, safe really going to that there's always you know particularly the UK I know the US is another one I've got a lot of friends that wanted to go to the US and and COVID's really interrupted those plans so I think regardless of whether we can come home and the borders is that issue of looking overseas and thinking do we want to you know leave this safe New Zealand kind of sanctuary almost for uncertainty in the UK or in the States and things like that which I think will change a lot of plans so I know a friend of mine was looking at the UK and has changed his mind and wants to go to Canada instead for that very reason that uh, it's just so uncertain and unsafe over there that other countries look like a safer bet. But um, they still want to go. The fact that they're worried about COVID in certain countries doesn't stop them from wanting to go on the OE. I think it's it's hard. People saw an, an end to the pandemic in some sense with the, the vaccine. So I think young people that are fully vaccinated and have got their booster are kind of ready to go and, and take that risk. But it depends completely on different people's, you know, willingness and personal risk assessment of the situation. I know it certainly made me um, pause about going to places like the UK, given that they don't seem to be managing COVID at all. But I think, yeah, it's been three years now feeling rather restricted. Can you describe to me the roller coaster that the pandemic has been for your recruitment agency over the pandemic? Yeah, that's a pretty accurate assessment. Um, in a funny kind of way, I'd actually, I wouldn't so much call it a roller coaster for us. It's been more of a slingshot. Um, How so? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so when the, when the pandemic, uh, you know, first hit in early 2020, the market went into a state of, you know, paranoia and uncertainty because the whole thing was a completely new concept and pretty unprecedented. All hiring activity just stopped effectively for a number of months. And we really thought that we were sort of on the precipice of some kind of historic, <laughs> you know, labour market crisis uh, where, where there's no no jobs and a depression or something like that. Well, mm. that didn't really turn out to be the case because we were prior to that in an extremely high demand, skill short environment anyway. Uh, so when everything stopped, that latent demand just kept growing and growing and growing. And then when people kind of got their head around the pandemic and realised that actually maybe the sky won't fall and then maybe our um, commercial operations can continue uh, effectively. The tap really went on uh, in terms of labour demand to the uh, extent that we probably had the uh, highest demand that we've ever had as a business in, in 2021 and with no sign of that fizzling out in 2022 and beyond so in a funny kind I don't think that the, pan the pandemic hasn't created it but uh, weirdly uh, it has had no effect on the uh, demand for work uh, for, for, for skilled workers in, in New Zealand uh, and it's probably just more coincidental that it's timed with uh, um, what the biggest periods of demand we've ever had. When you know our borders closed um, was there a brain gain or did that not quite realise itself? I mean, there was a brain gain and there was definitely a meaningful addition of skills 
in, into the market uh, and some really, really top uh, people coming back, whether they be skilled workers that go and join an organisation or entrepreneurial types that maybe relocate a, a sort of a global online business to New Zealand. There were definitely lots and lots of really great examples of that and it was good to see. But it, it really was a drop in the bucket in terms of going anywhere to address the latent skill shortages that we were experiencing prior to that. Now the situation has become worse. Historically, our biggest threat um, for losing skilled Kiwis uh, to offshore was the Australian market. And it's always been the sort of favourite uh, place to go for skilled Kiwi workers because you know, the, the salaries were, were um, you know, traditionally higher, um, there was sort of various things that indicated that the cost of living was cheaper over there and you've got climate and, you know, the other opportunities. So it's always been very, very attractive and most Kiwis were lost to Australia. I don't think that will change. That will just uh, kick back into what it was. The Australian employers are very actively headhunting in New Zealand. Australian recruiters have been flying across the ditch with the intention of taking talented Kiwis home with them. It's actually a lot easier to headhunt these days because, you know, people are on LinkedIn and these other platforms and you can sort of connect with them and find them quite easily. So, um, yeah, there's probably more going on with uh, pinching New Zealand workers to Australia <laughs> than, than you might be uh, otherwise aware of. And that's not just Australia, actually. This kind of location agnostic, um, borderless kind of online ability to source people doesn't just extend to Australia, but um, large corporations in the States are also very actively trying to find people um, and recruit them to work remotely from New Zealand for them. And that's a significant risk to the talent supply in New Zealand of skilled people, and particularly IT workers, fall into that one. Mm. Uh, New Zealand, most New Zealand employers just simply cannot compete with the, the conditions and the remuneration level in that particular scenario. And I, I've, you know, I've got a live example that, that's just played out in the last few weeks of a, you know, a talented sort of user experience IT worker um, working for a a local creative design agency in a regional town here in New Zealand, earning really good money, but a large uh, American uh, sort of brand name <laughs> tech shop, uh, Silicon Valley kind of scenario, found him. He had a certain set of rare skills and they, they offered him a salary, which was probably an excessive double um, of what he wow. was getting at the moment. And he can work from home in his lifestyle regional location, uh, doing what he's doing, and we just can't compete with that. So um, I'd expect that we'll, uh, we'll be seeing more and more of that. Is that something that New Zealand businesses need to consider then, just actually hiring people remotely? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they do need to, and we are behind the eight ball, or not behind the eight ball, but it's a thought that's a little bit scary to a lot of New Zealand employees. Like some are doing it, but we haven't. So I, I expected to see a lot of interest in hiring workers remotely 
so they could work here in New Zealand but not actually be in New Zealand. And that, that's what played out in our economic labour report, you, you might have seen, but um, uh, the larger percentage of employers are reticent about that, quoting things like, um, you know, there's tax implications and privacy and data security and, um, you know, did I say health and safety? I can't remember, but there's just, you know, various, I guess, legislative hurdles they need to navigate in that particular situation. And that, from what we can see, is, you know, providing a bit of a disincentive to do that at the moment. So would you say the power right now really is with employees? Yeah, bluntly, I would say yes. Like we're finding that, you know, if we've got a good candidate with with good skills and marketable in demand, when we take them through the process, they'll typically have two or three offers or, or two or three opportunities that they can choose from. And, and that's just completely common at the moment. So it's all for the clients or the employers. It's all about you've got to be fast. You've got to be efficient. You've got to have a, a really tight recruitment process. But at the same time, your recruitment process has to be geared towards articulating and demonstrating your employment value proposition and why that employee should come and work for you. Is there anything else that employers should be thinking about? Yeah, look, one thing I think is important is, is it is about old thinking versus new thinking. And again, historically and traditionally, candidates are hired on skills and years of experience. That seems to be the typical variables that you know come into a, an employment scenario, mm. whereas it's sort of about high-performance attributes now and has this person got the innate skills to be a high performer in the organisation, which has got nothing to do with their uh, skills or their years of experience? And I think organisations need to be getting into practices like looking at the top performers in the organisation, who are your best employees, working out what skills and attributes and natural sort of abilities they have, and then looking for those abilities in the people that they're recruiting. And, and so, you know, do you want someone that's got 10 years experience and four or five of the skills that you're looking for, but unfortunately they're actually really bad at their job? Um, or do you want someone with two or three years experience who's going to be a natural high performer because they've got all of those high performance attributes They've got two of the five things that you're looking for, but they've been proven to be able to learn things really fast. They've got great teachability. They're really resilient and they're an awesome team player. I mean, I know what I find more attractive, put it that way. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Jeremy Ansell engineered this episode, Sarah Robson produced it, and thanks to Ben Pearson, Jane Matthews and Alice Shepard. Mā wa.